High Praise Podcast. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Garrett, Youth Pastor at High Praise Panama City. I want to thank you for downloading today's podcast. No matter if you just missed a service or if you happen to stumble across our show, we believe and we pray that God is going to bless you through today's episode. So open up your hearts, receive what God has in store for you. How's everybody doing? Woo! All right. I like it. Um, as most of you know, Pastor Garrett's out of town. He is on vacation this week. Uh, believe it or not, even church pastors take vacation occasionally. Uh, so uh, Pastor Garrett is, uh, I think he's in Orlando today. Uh, Pastor Becca is not because she did not have time off. But Pastor Garrett is there, and they're having a great time, him and his family. He'll be back on this weekend. Uh, but uh, y'all just uh, be praying for him while he's on vacation this week. He gets energized and rested and uh, refreshed and comes ready back to um, get after it with y'all. It's going to be good. A lot of great stuff coming up. Before we get into this, I do want to make one announcement real quick, and that is this. After we're done tonight, we are having a meeting in here for our arts and dance team. If you're in this room, uh, you can be a part of that because it's middle school and up. Um, so there's going to be a couple opportunities coming up with our Good Friday service on Easter weekend. Uh, the girls are doing more of a uh, dance, kind of like what you saw on like Christmas Eve, if you were here. Um, I think they're doing one. I don't know what the, I think there's some dance requirements on that one that you, but they'll talk about it in the meeting. But then there's another thing that's going on that's a little bit more uh, kind of human video oriented that's open for uh, male and female. I promise, boys, it won't be feminine, what you do if you get involved there. So if you want to be involved with that, hang out after. They can give you all the details. If you just want to know what's going on, hang out. They'll let you know. You can make a decision if you want to be involved or not after that. But I encourage you to get involved, get connected somewhere in the church and be involved. Grab your Bible, go to Romans 6. Romans 6. While you're turning there, um, thankfully I got up here early tonight because I have like 37 pages of notes. Um, not literally, don't be scared, but I do have like five and a half, which is a lot of notes for me. Um, we're going to just get through what we can get through and what we don't get through, we won't get through and we'll do it some other time. But I want to encourage you with this, guys. I want to encourage you with this. It is never too early and you are never too young to learn to engage with the word. You're never too young and it is never too early to learn to begin to engage with the word. I really, as, as much fun as we have in YTH with Foursquare, and I don't know, some of y'all may have been playing with that little kid connect four thing and um, the video game walls and RTU trips and wild adventures trips and whatever else y'all do in small groups with, I know y'all talk about spiritual things, but whether it's secret ninja or whatever y'all do, as much fun as we have with all of that, I hope the reason that you are here is not because you wanted to play the Nintendo Switch or because you wanted to play Foursquare. I hope the reason that you're here is because you want to grow in your relationship with God, that you want to mature spiritually, that you want to encounter Him in a real and a fresh way, that you want to be a part of community of people your age that love God and are going after Him. Because if not, 
you're going to be sorely disappointed in the majority of what happens. And that's where we want y'all to get is where you are craving things of the Lord. You are never too early and is never too young to begin to engage with the Word. Uh, most of y'all know, I, I before we went to Orlando and uh, planted there and then ended up coming back and taking the lead pastor role here, uh, whenever Pastor Miranda and I got married in, in 2006, we like immediately, simultaneously, not... Um, expectedly, but I can give you all the de- I don't give you all the details of how it happened, but basically a youth pastor role got thrust upon us at the same time that we got married because our youth pastor resigned. We didn't have anybody else to do it. And uh, I was just made the interim youth pastor for like eight years. Um, the interim label had just hung for a long time. And I can tell you this from watching different classes of kids come through this room, the ones that were engaging in the Word whenever they were in 7th, 8th, ninth, and 10th grade are the ones that are still engaging with the Word and doing things for the kingdom today. And the ones who didn't learn to engage with the Word in 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th grade are ones who aren't engaged with the Lord and with the relationship with Him today. What you are doing today matters. This is not irrelevant, and one day you can get right now. Obviously, sometimes it happens with people, but you can save yourself a lot of heartache and a lot of problems if you learn to engage with the Word today. Uh, Pastor Castle, who is leading worship tonight, he engaged with the Word whenever he was one of my youth. CJ, who's one of y'all's leaders, who's our leads our young adults now. Uh, you're in high school, kind of when you really got serious about God, CJ. Whenever CJ, how old? 16. Whenever CJ was 16 and got serious about God in was in this room every week where y'all are sitting right now. He engaged with the word. Travis Kelly, who's on staff for us, whenever he was uh, 18 years old and in this room as a young adult, he engaged with the word. Becca uh, Webb, who was Becca Anderson then. I had Becca from basically your entire middle and high school ages, right? Becca engaged with the word whenever she was in seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. She would sit up rather and take notes just like she does today. I know because I see what y'all, y'all think we don't see what y'all are doing when we're preaching. We see what y'all are doing. And Becca was engaged with the word. What you are doing today is setting the path for where you're going to go in the future. These years are not irrelevant. They're very important. Y'all with me? Y'all with me? Y'all wait tonight? I know it's cold outside. Y'all need to wake up a little bit. Man, uh, Romans 6 verse 1. We're going to read a lot of scripture. Y'all hang with me. Romans 6 verse 1 says this. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we all should walk in newness of life. Do you all know in water baptism, that's one of the reasons when you go under the water, it is a signifying of your old man being 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 put in the tomb, being crucified with Christ. And then when you come out of the water, it's a res- type of a resurrection of a new man that is emerging. Y'all with me? Verse 5, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. 
Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of the righteousness of righteousness to God. Last verse, for, for sin shall not have dominion over you. You were not under the law, but you are under grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word tonight. Thank you for these students that are in this room. Thank you, Father, you have something to say to them tonight. Thank you, even as I minister tonight, you will anoint my tongue as that of a ready and skillful writer to speak forth your words to this room tonight. Thank you, Lord, that for everyone in this room, you will anoint our, our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, and our spirits to respond to what you're saying to us this evening. In Jesus' name, and everybody shouts, amen. amen. Now listen, Romans 6, I know this, is, this can be uh, sound a little bit daunting what we just read. There's a lot to unpack, and we read a lot, and there's a lot of big words and a lot of things. And just so you all know, uh, whenever I preach, um, I, I don't I don't ever try to dumb things down for a crowd. Y'all in this room are in middle and high school. I know some of the stuff that y'all learn in school. If you can pay attention and learn in school, you can certainly pay attention and learn from the Word. One of the stupidest things we do in ministry is we have kids that go and learn trigonometry in high school, but we try to teach them like they're in the second grade in youth. Y'all aren't dumb. Y'all hang with me. If I say a word and you don't know what it means, Look it up later. It'll help you grow your vocabulary. But for right now, just hang with me and just nod like you know exactly what I'm talking about, even if you don't. It'll be okay. Y'all will be all right. Y'all y'all awake? Y'all y'all look like y'all are exhausted. I need y'all to wake up a little bit. So let's talk about this. Let's unpack this in Romans 6 a little bit, okay? A lot to unpack, but I really want to focus on one major thing and one major point today, and it's simply this. You are no longer under the dominion of sin. You are no longer under the rule of sin. Sin should have absolutely zero authority in your life because according to what Paul writes here in Romans, you are no longer under its dominion and you are no longer its slave. That's what he tells us. You are no longer a slave to sin. What is a slave? A slave had to do whatever a slave master said. It had a, an owner. It had a ruler. And whatever that person said, you did it. So before Jesus, you live under the dominion as a slave to sin. And whatever sin says, you do. Right? But then you have now been made a new creation. You have been made a new creature. Whenever you are saved, you are baptized into his death, and you are brought up into his resurrection, and you now have a new nature. And Paul is telling us sin is no longer your slave master. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are no longer under its dominion, and it no longer has any authority in your life. You are now dead to sin, and you are alive to God. That's what he's telling us. You are dead to sin, and you are alive to God, and you cannot be alive to God and sin simultaneously. A man cannot serve two masters, for he will love one and he will hate the other, is what Scripture says. Friendship with the world is enmity 
with God, is what Scripture tells us. In other words, if you want to be a friend with the world, it puts you in a place of positioning yourself as an enemy of what God has for your life. And that is not a good place to be. Things never work out well for the enemies of God. But they always work out well for his friends. They always work out for ones that put him first in their lives. And whenever we talk about sin, this is what we do. This is what we do. This is what we do, right? Especially if you're brought up in church. You jump to the bad stuff, right? When we talk about sin, we immediately go, well, the bad stuff, right? I'm a teenager, so that means having sex. There you go, Patrick. I said it. Patrick said, you're going to say sex on I said, probably it'll happen at some point. It's about, it's about doing drugs, right? It's about vaping. It's about whatever your pick is of things that you want to talk about. Whatever the bad thing is to you, that's what it is. But sin is a lot more, and it's a lot more broad than just the bad stuff. And let me just say this. If you are holding up your life and you're going, I'm okay because at least I'm not doing what that other person that my friend is is doing, you're doing it wrong. I'm going to say it again. You're doing it wrong. If you're holding up and go, well, I go to church and I, you know, volunteer in an area. I've got this stuff in my life, but I'm not as bad as Bree is, thank God. I'm just not Bree. I'm just using Bree as an example because she's sitting right here. Bree's great, right? Or whoever it is. I'm not as bad as my friend who doesn't go to church, so I'm in a good place. The only, the only person you ever compare yourself against is Jesus. And if you aren't to his image yet, you keep working. Because what happens is we compare, our, which, by the way, none of us in this room are there yet. So we keep working, right? But this is what we do. This is how we, we lull ourselves into a sense of false security in thinking that we are okay because we compare ourselves against other people. And you pick the people you know that you're doing, doing better than. But in reality, you're doing stuff half the time just as awful as they are. They just do it publicly and you do it privately, right? And we hold ourselves up against those people and go, we're doing good. And I'm not, I'm not a sinner like them. That's what the Pharisees did. You don't want to be a Pharisee and go, oh, thank God I'm not a sinner like them. That's the worst thing you can do. What you want to do is look at Jesus and go, I want to be more like him. Not thank God I'm not like them, but rather I want to be more like him. It'll revolutionize the way you look at other people. And it'll revolutionize the way you look at yourself when you stop comparing yourself against other people. And the only person you compare yourself against is Christ. Because at the end of the day, sin is really simply defined, right? I'm not even going to give you a list of do's and don'ts of sin, although there are do's and don'ts. I'm not saying there aren't. But sin really simply defined, if you really, and Pastor Garrett, I'm sure, has told you all this. Sin defined is simply this, missing the mark. It's that simple. It is simply missing the mark. It is, it is being less than what God has called you to be. It is simply missing the mark. And we have all missed the mark. <laughs> in some way, in some fashion, in some sense, we've all missed the mark. And by the way, we've all continued to miss the mark. How many missed the mark this week in some way? All right. The youth leaders are raising their hands, and y'all teenagers are like, I'm good. I'm pretty good, bro. You're not. We've all missed the mark. We've all done some stuff that we wished we wouldn't have done. Some of y'all may be cool now and think you're good now, but one day you're going to go, I wish I didn't do those things. Trust me, I have friends who did those things. And if they could go back, would say, I wish I didn't do those things. 
Because like I said, what you're doing today is setting the trajectory for where you're going to be in 10 years. If you want to act like a burnout today, you're going to be a burnout 10 years from now. More often than not. There are people that buck that trend, but more often than not, the people who were, well, I'll just stop. I'll stop. You aren't called to live your life with sin controlling you, period. Nobody should be that way. Why should we be those who reject sin? Because that's what, that's what we're called to do as Christians. We are called to reject sin. Do you know that? I know we don't talk about this a lot in, in the modern church, but as a believer, you're actually called to reject sin, to walk away from it, that it shouldn't be something you embrace. And by the way, you can't just use the, well, I'm, and we'll talk about this in a minute, well, I'm human and all humans are going to sin as an excuse for you to go do whatever the crap you want to do and then blame it on your nature. It's not the way this works. And I'll tell you why in a minute. But as believers, we're called to reject sin. Why? Is it because sin is some sort of icky, gross, nasty thing? No, it's a lot deeper than that. It's a lot deeper than that. It's not just sin is icky and gross and nasty and makes you dirty and da-da-da-da-da. We don't, let me say this also, you don't reject sin in order to get Jesus to love you. We don't walk away from sin because if we don't, Jesus won't love us if we have sin in our lives. That's not why we're called to walk away from sin and to live holy. Jesus loves you regardless of what you are doing, what you did, and what you will do. Jesus' love is not tempered based upon your performance, period. Jesus loves people in, even when they are in sin. In this, in this, the Father showed he loves us that even when we were sinners, Christ died for us. That he died for you even when you were a sinner. He didn't say, get right and then I'll die for you. He said, I came to die for you in order to make you right. Right? If it, it, it isn't you do good enough and then Jesus will love you. Listen, even we see this throughout, throughout Scripture. Jesus never rejected a sinner. But he certainly rejected a lot of self-righteous people who thought they had it all together. Right? He got on to the Pharisees a lot more than he got on to the sinner. Now, this doesn't mean that when people walk in holiness, you just get to call them Pharisees and you just keep acting like a crazy person and say, well, Jesus loves me more he loves them because they're Pharisees. No, that's not what a Pharisee is. Pharisees are people who are doing things privately but holding other. Let me, let me give you a really short example of what a Pharisee is. A Pharisee is somebody who's a hypocrite. What is a hypocrite? A hypocrite is somebody who has a standard for one, for one side but not for another, right? So a uh, what what would, what would make me a hypocrite is if I, uh, let me give you an example. If for those of you going on the RTU trip, y'all saw the the list of do's and don'ts, right? For those of you in the room, and some of the things that were on the list of things to not bring, y'all know what some of those things were. What would make me a hypocrite is if I told all y'all don't bring those things on the trip, and then I brought them on the trip. That's a hypocrite. That's a standard for you, rules for thee, but not for me. And that's what the Pharisees did. They had rules for thee, but not for me, right? It was, you have this standard, and you have to live up to it, and if you don't, we're going to chuck a rock at you, right? But then what Jesus shows, y'all know the story? How many of you know the story of, of, uh, of, of uh, the woman who was caught in adultery? Y'all know that story? Show of hands, who knows that story? All right, not, not all of y'all. I'm going to give you the quick, quick, quick version, okay? Pharisees get this woman who has been caught in adultery. And by the way, sexism was even alive in the first century because if you didn't know this, adultery requires two people, and they only brought the woman. Even though under the law, the man should have also been held accountable for his actions, but they didn't. They just brought the woman. And they bring the woman, and they throw her at the feet of Jesus, and they say, Jesus, the law says that this woman should be killed because of her unfaithfulness. 
And they've got stones in their hands ready to stone her. And Jesus does something, and he gets down, and he does this. He begins to write in the dirt. We don't know what he wrote in the dirt. People, different people have, have um, uh, speculated on what it could have been, but it's all speculation. My current favorite speculation, just because I believe this would have been so awesome, is that what Jesus started doing was writing all the sins of the Pharisees in the sand and the things that they should have been also killed for. I'm not saying he did that. That's my, that's my, that's my current favorite speculation because I just love the pettiness of it. But um, I, just, I just love the sass of it that Jesus would have had. Be like, oh, yeah, I want that. Here, remind you of what you did. But Jesus then stands up and he goes, hey, I got an idea. I've got an idea. He who is without sin in this room, let him throw the first stone. And all these awful, murderous people dropped their stones and went away, and nobody threw a stone at her. There was one person there who was qualified to throw a stone, and he did not. Jesus was the only person without sin that could have thrown a stone. And when the opportunity presented itself to him to throw the stone, he dropped it while everybody else wanted to throw it. One of the greatest signs of your holiness is not how quickly you can jump down the throat of a sinner. One of the greatest signs of your holiness is that whenever you have an opportunity to throw a stone, you extend mercy and grace instead. That is the sign, because Jesus is pure holiness. The sign of your holiness is not that you feel you're so high enough. And listen, I get it, because I used to be many years ago, 18, 19, 20 years old, on fire for God, still on fire for God. It's not 18, 19, 20 anymore. Really on fire for God, and I, I I know that one of one of the greatest pitfalls of 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 youth is a lot of zeal without wisdom, and that's something you learn over time. Because whenever you get really zealous, it's very easy to start looking down your nose at other people, and true holiness never looks down its nose at people who are struggling. But rather, what Jesus does on the other side of that, after he after they all leave, he gets in the dirt with the woman. Jesus gets down where she is, and he says, woman, who here condemns you? And then he picks her up out of the dirt and says, now go and sin no more. We so often leave it at the woman who here condemns you, and we leave out the part where he says, now go and sin no more. Because inside of mercy and grace is not just the ability to look over your sin, but is also the ability to give you an empowerment to now go and sin no more. If we stop, because we, 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 we conflate these. We conflate mercy and grace. We say things like, we're saved by the grace of God. You're not really saved by the grace of God. You're saved by the mercy of God, and you are empowered by the grace of God. Because if you actually look up the, am I, is this too, are y'all with me? Y'all, is this too much for y'all? Whenever you look up the word grace, it has nothing to do with forgiveness. What the word grace actually means in the Greek is that it, it is a divine enablement in the heart, in the spirit that is in reflected in your life. It has nothing to do with mercy. It has everything to do with this. God shows up while you are messed up, jacked up, while you have nothing to offer him. And he shows you mercy, just like he showed the woman who was caught in adultery. But then on the other side of his mercy, he picks you up and he says, now go and sin no more. Jesus wouldn't have told her go and sin no more unless there was actually an opportunity for her to leave that place and go and sin no more. 
And then she leaves that place and she starts a revival in her city. Why? Because somebody showed her mercy, but then gave her an enablement to go forth and be something different than what she's always been. If we stop at mercy, you'll keep screwing up over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And God will love you for it. But you don't just need mercy. You need grace that empowers you to be something different than what you've thought you were. She thought she was just a woman who was good for nothing but being somebody's object. But Jesus showed up and said, you're not just an object. You have something better inside of you. And I'm here to tell you tonight, I don't care what people have said about you. You aren't what they have called you. You are something better than that. You are something bigger than that. You are something greater than that. And there is an ability and a calling within you, even at a young age, that God wants to tap into, and you begin to be something bigger than what everybody else may have labeled you. I don't care what they called you at school. I don't care what your mom called you, your dad called you, a teacher called you. I don't care if you're rich, poor, black, white, male, female, what you are. You are called for something greater than what you could ever imagine or what you could ever think. But it starts here. You have to reject sin and walk away from it. it. Starts with saying, "That's not who I am anymore." It's getting a new identity. So we don't. Let me go back to where I was. We don't just reject sin because it's gross. We don't sin, leave sin, already get Jesus to love us. So why do we leave sin? Sin is bad because it makes you less than the image bearer you're called to be. We have lied to people in the church. When I say we, I mean pastors and ministers by and large have lied to people. And we have told them we haven't really lied. We just don't understand because people are stupid. They don't study Scripture. And we base theology based on what we want to feel rather than what Scripture says half the time. We have told people this. To sin is human. To sin is not human. To sin is sin. Some of y'all look at me funny right now. To sin is not human. What is, what, 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 what is perfect humanity? It's a sure question. What is perfect humanity? Perfect humanity is really seen in, in two people, three technically. It's seen in Adam, first man, before sin, Eve, and it's seen in Jesus, right? People, Adam is the first Adam, Jesus is called the second, or sometimes the last Adam, right? That is perfect humanity. When God created perfect humanity, Humanity was without sin. When God created humanity, humanity was without sin. When something is created, that is its perfect order and design. Whenever God created man, he did not create man to engage in sin. You operating in sin is not you just operating in your humanity. That's you operating in fallen humanity. That's not sin. I mean, that's, that's not humanity. It's sin. You weren't called for that. The Bible says in, one, in Genesis 1, God created mankind, humankind, in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In, in, in theology, we call it imago dei. It literally means being in the image of God. Humanity was created to be in the image of God. We have thought humans were created to be in the image of fallen humans. That is not what they were created to be. They were created to be in the image of God. We became in the image of fallen humans. But you were never intended to be an image of your friends. You were created to be an image of God. That is the purpose of humanity, is to be an image bearer. So sin 
does not make you human. Sin actually dehumanizes you. Whenever you live in sin, you are actually less human than you're called to be. Some of y'all look at me like y'all don't know. We have been, I could go on a theological rant. We have been so bombarded by awful theology, awful theology, that tells us how bad and awful and terrible and wretched and wicked we are all the time, and that's not who God called you to be. And I'm never going to call you anything less than what God's called you to be. I'm not going to call you what people in the world call you. I'm going to call you what God called you to be. I'm going to call you what he's called you to be. And we may, we, uh, no, don't get me wrong. There'll be times that behaviors in people's lives have to be addressed. Maybe we go, why are you doing this? But even when we address that, we don't ever address it from that's who you are. That's not who you are. That's why we're addressing it. If Pastor Garrett talks to you about something he sees in your life, it's not because he wants to make you not who you really are. It's because he wants to see you become who you actually are called to be. One of the biggest, I'm just going to call it, what is loads of crap that we believe and that we've told ourselves, and that this generation on the earth right now is telling themselves, is I, I, I am what I feel. You aren't what you feel. You are what God has called you to be. You are what God's called you to be. Your feelings lie to you every single day. Feelings lie. They lie all the time. They lie. Feelings lie. I've got to follow my heart. Well, the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. You don't follow your heart. You follow the word. Got to follow my heart. Show me scripture for that. You don't follow your heart. You follow what he says. You follow what he says. You don't follow what you feel. Following what you feel will always lead you down the wrong road. Are y'all with me? Is this too much for y'all? Am I being too mean to y'all? Y'all okay? Be meaner? You just got here. That's all right. (laughs) The enemy wants to make you less than what God's called you to be. He wants to strip you of the ability of what God's called you to be. And sin sin is one of the tools he uses for that. We aren't called to walk under the dominion of sin. You're called to walk and to live in holiness. And that's what we're really talking about tonight. I had to do all of that to set up for this. 30 minutes of intro. Is that you were made to be holy. I'm going to say it again. You were made to be holy. Now when we start using that word holy, people get freaked out because we don't know what that means. 1 Peter 1 says this, and said, As he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct, for it is written, For you shall be holy, for I am holy. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Pursue peace with everyone, and the holiness without, no, with, without which no one will see the Lord. In other words, this, if you aren't living in holiness, you can't even rightly see God. If you aren't living in holiness, you can't rightly see God. This is why people, a lot of times you start hearing, Well, I just, I, just don't, I just don't feel God. I just don't have a relationship with God. Well, you're not living holy. If you start living in holiness, you'll have a relationship with God, and you'll see him clearly. But whenever you're doing all this other stuff, everything gets cloudy. Your vision gets clouded because you're putting other things before him. Let's just call it what it is. You have idols. You have idols. Because when you have something that comes before God, it's an idol. Well, that's not that bad. It's still an idol. You can make anything an idol. We, th- we, we, we see you shall have no other gods before me. We think because we don't have a golden statue of Buddha, we're okay. Right? But you put your extracurricular activity before God. What's that? It's not a trick question. What's that? It's an idol, right? You put this. You put you put the girlfriend or the boyfriend before God. What's that? It's an idol. I love my wife dearly, and she knows that, and I tell her all the time. But you better believe that in our life, she doesn't come before the Lord. And 
it's vice versa. She loves me, but I know this. I don't come before God in her life because if, if, if she did, she'd become an idol to me, and that's not good. Now, she's the second most important thing in my life. Better believe that. The Lord's number one. She's number two. She's more important than anything else on this planet. But the moment that I put anything before God, it becomes an idol. We walk around with idols all the time, but we get freaked out when we talk about holiness. But holiness is important. We get freaked out. Why? Because we get these, we get these images in our head, right? We talk about holiness. We get these images in our head of uh, 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 of things like the the woman that you saw at at Whataburger with uh, with you know no makeup and a dress, and her hair couldn't be cut because that's what holiness was. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever seen people like that before? Real old school holiness style where if a woman wears makeup, straight to hell. That's going to send you to hell. Makeup, you can talk about people all you want, but wear makeup, hell, right? Or if you wear pants and you're a woman, hell. My sister graduated from a place, and, and uh, it was a Christian place, and whenever she graduated, I'm, I'm, this is not a joke. This is not a joke at all. This is 100% serious. In the dress code for graduation, it said that the female clavicle could not be exposed. You know what the clavicle is? Like right up, I mean, it's like here. Because if the clavicle was exposed, it could lead boys to lust. And I'm like, like maybe the boys should not be weirdos. If a clavicle is turning you on, if that's just going to make you go crazy, you need some prayer. You need the devil cast out of you, right? There we go. Y'all are awake now. I said turning you on, and y'all woke up. Right? So immature. That's right. Emily said, we're so immature. Right? That's the type of things we talk about when we talk about holiness. We think about restrictiveness. We think about if you go, you can't go to a movie theater, you better not even laugh. Because if you laugh, you might be having too much fun, and that might be sin to have fun. That's what we think about whenever we talk about holiness. To be clear, that is not what I'm talking about. And that is not the definition of holiness. All right? That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying woman, women, if you show your, your you know, wrist, I'm trying to voice this part of the body, if you show your wrist that you're going to go to hell because, first of all, let me just, let me, I'm just, I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say it. Boys, Y'all are responsible for your own thoughts, your own lives, your own actions. Don't blame some girl for your issues, right? You can walk away. You can close your eyes. You don't have to go there. You don't have to be there. You don't have to blame the girl because you've got a problem. Amen. I got three daughters, so I'm going to preach that loud. Y'all can be responsible young men of God and go pray instead of going, well, if the girl wouldn't do 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 By the way, the flip applies as well, but we see that excuse used a lot more for boys than girls. Well, boys will be boys. No, boys need to control themselves and be men of God. You can control yourself. All right. The girls are with me. Boys, y'all are looking at me like, I've got to be responsible for my actions. Yes, you do. You have to be responsible for your actions and your thought life. Go pray if you need to go pray. Do something. I don't know, but don't go pray. That's what you need to do. Just go pray. Leave it at that. That's what we think about when we talk about holiness. Clavicles covered, no movie theaters, only southern gospel music. 
basically, essentially, my own personal hell is what we think about when we talk about holiness, and that is not what we're talking about. Holiness is not presented by some sort of outward expression or the clothes you wear or if you don't go to movie theaters or if you don't wear makeup or you do wear makeup or whatever. Holiness is not having about a list having a list of do's and don'ts, although there are things we shouldn't do. Amen. I expected a little response there. There are things we shouldn't do. Period. But holiness is a heart position. Holiness means this, I am separated from something and I am dedicated to something. Really simply, it means this. I am separated from something, and I am dedicated to something. So holiness simply defined as this. I am separated from sin, and I am dedicated to the Lord. Now, that will have a reflection in your life. Don't tell me how separated from sin and dedicated to God you are if you are living just like everybody else. If you look like everybody else at school, you act like everybody else at school, you use the same language as everybody else at school, you do all the same crap that everybody else at school does, you are not separated from God and dedicated to Him. Right? But it will have a reflection in the way you live. But the moment it becomes some sort of thing where it's like, I'm holy because I don't do this and I don't do that, and that, you're no longer in holiness, you're in legalism. Right? And you're not called to legalism, you are called to holiness. Holiness is this heart position. We are dedicated and, excuse me, we are separated from the systems of the world and dedicated to the system of God. It is what defines us is our holiness, our consecration, that we are dedicated for him. And I said this earlier, but I'm going to say this. You can never start too young in consecrating your heart to God. Never. You can never start too young. Don't think, well, whenever I wait till I'm 18, then I'm going to get serious about God. Don't wait till you're 18. Start when you're 11. Start now. Start today. You didn't do it yesterday, start today. This whole idea that you got to wait till you're 25 or 30 or whatever, then I can do something for God. Start now. If you're not reading your Bible, read your Bible. If you're not praying, Pray. All right. Thank you. I appreciate y'all's enthusiasm for prayer. And by the way, praying does not have to mean that you pray for an hour a day. This is what we do. We set unrealistic expectations. Unrealistic expectations. Excuse me. Swallowed down the wrong pipe. We set unrealistic expectations. We think this because we go to a, we hear about a youth conference or we see somebody on on YouTube or, or somebody in our school or somebody in youth group who's really dedicated to God and we they're like yeah I pray for like three hours a day first of all they're probably lying just honestly they're probably lying there was a girl that was uh, that was they called her <laughs> this is not a joke this is not a joke a girl that we knew they called her the girl who prays. And her whole thing was she just prayed nonstop. She just prayed and prayed. And she was going to be, you know, part of the biggest prayer movement in the world. The girl doesn't even serve God now when she's 30 years old because most of that was just a front and a farce. And she didn't actually do it. She was putting on a show to be popular within the Christian circle. So whatever you're doing, you don't do it for anybody else. You do it for God. You do it for yourself and your relationship with him. If you're praying to impress people, you're not praying for the right reason. Right, if you're if you're worshiping up front, it's because you want the cute girl to notice you, who's also worshiping God, and you're worshiping, but you got one eye on her, like going, she's she looking at me. You ain't really worshiping; you're putting on a show. So this this is the thing: you're never too young. Start now. But we set these unrealistic expectations, right? We think I got to pray for an hour. I got to pray for this. Just just pray. 
I don't care if you pray for 15 seconds. Pray. Pray for 30 seconds. Pray for a minute. Pray for two minutes. Take what time you have. And by the way, don't tell me you don't have time. I'm a pastor who has a wife and four kids. I still find time to pray every single day. I'm not going to stand here and tell you, yeah, I just sit around and pray for an hour every day. I don't do that. Some days I pray for a minute. Some days I pray for 10. Some days it's half an hour. Some days it may be an hour. But you know what I do? I do find time every day to commune with God. Because whenever you commune with God, whenever you have a healthy relationship with God, it makes it more difficult for you to give your heart to any other false lover. Whenever you have a healthy, fiery relationship with God, there becomes very little room for anybody else to get in there. I would give you all marriage examples, but those are too mature for you all. But I'll just say this. In a, in a marriage relationship, whenever you have a healthy intimacy in your relationship, you're not going and looking for it in other places. The same thing applies with the Lord, because we all have this, this craving for this inner thing for some sort of intimacy with some sort of connection with something bigger than us. When you have that with God, you're not looking for it in other places. Whenever you have a healthy relationship with him, there's not room for other people to get in. There's not room in our relationship for somebody else to show up and begin to take my heart. Why? Because she has it and we're close and we have a relationship that is healthy. And in healthy relationship, it becomes much more difficult for anything counterfeit to show up. When you have a healthy relationship with God, it makes it much more difficult for any counterfeit thing to show up. You've been made for a purpose. Now, y'all still with me? I'm going to preach a second message. Not really, but I do have a few more things to say. Ephesians 2, turn there. Ephesians 2. Y'all get anything out of this? I know this is a lot, but I hope y'all are getting some out of it. This is a throwback for some of the people in this room. This is how I preach to my youth every single week. Isn't that right, Becca? CJ, this every single week, this is what they got. They turned out okay, so if y'all, just give me a week or so. Ephesians 2, I'll be back soon probably. 2.11 says this, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made of the flesh by hands, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Those of you who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We, we, we like this idea. We see this idea in like advertisement, new and improved. How many of you ever seen like an advertisement for something and it's like new and improved or new formula or new this or new that or whatever? When the new iPhone 15 came out, everybody heard titanium 87,000 times in the advertisement. Y'all know what I'm talking about? The iPhone 15 titanium. It's like we know it's titanium and it wasn't before. They're, they're, they're hyping something new, something that is improved. We, we like this idea. They do it because it works, because people want something new. They want something better. That idea speaks to us as a people. But it speaks to something deeper within our hearts. We have this desire for a new life. And the reason that most of us have this deep desire for a new life is because deep down they're unsatisfied with who they are. What you believe about yourself is what you become. And it is what others will perceive you to be. I'm gonna, I want you to hear that. If you don't hear any other statement tonight, I want you to hear that. What you believe about yourself is what you will become and it is what others will perceive you to be. 
That's why what you believe about yourself matters. What you believe about God and what you believe, and what you believe about God will shape what you believe about yourself. What you believe about yourself is what you will become, and what you become is what others will perceive you to be. Let me give you an example. The children of Israel, y'all know this story, probably. Some of you know this story. Children of Israel, they spend years in Egyptian slavery and bondage. They come out of Egyptian slavery and bondage. God has promised their ancestors the land of Canaan. So they send in 12 spies to go spy out the land. And they come back with a report, and they say this. Ten of the 12 spies, the majority, which by the way, the majority most of the time is not right. The majority of the spies tell, come back, and this is their report. There were giants in the land, and we are not able to go in. And then they make this statement. And we misquote it all the time. It's misquoted all the time in church. Because what we say all the time, whenever you hear people tell this story, it's like they say this, we were grasshoppers in their sight. It's not what it says. It says, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in theirs. What they saw themselves to be is what their enemy perceived them to be. But they were not grasshoppers because God had called them to go take that land. They were well able, but they didn't believe in it themselves. And you know what happened? Those people ended up dying, never receiving the promise, not because God didn't promise it to them, but because they didn't believe they were able to attain the promise. A lot of people in your generation and in my generation will live their lives short of what God has called them to be because they don't believe the promise that he's given them. They don't believe the promise that he's given them. They don't believe they can do it. But the reality is this, you are well able. You are something different than what you thought you are. That's what Paul is telling us really in the first three chapters of Ephesians. You can go read the first three chapters of Ephesians this week. It'll do you good. But Paul is painting this picture of the glorious reality of who we are. And if we actually can believe what we are in those first three chapters of Ephesians, it'll begin to shift our lives dramatically. What we believe about ourselves will change how we live. It's that simple. If your self-image is determined by your shortcomings, your tribulations, your failures, you'll always live below the mark of what God has for you. But if you live your life from the perspective of who God calls you to be, who he's made you, you'll live to who he's called you to be. So let me give you a couple things you are, first of all. These are universal. We all have uniqueness that we are. But these are a few things that God calls us and we see these in Ephesians. First of all, we're this. We are citizens in a new kingdom. Part of the revelation of who he's made you is this. Uh, it is understanding of, of, of the dimension in which you function. You are now a citizen of the kingdom of God. And there is a lot of emphasis placed on that throughout the epistles of Paul, that you are a citizen in the kingdom of God. Why does Paul do that? Because in the ancient world, citizenship was a big deal. And it still is today, but for most of you in this room, citizenship is not that big of a deal. You were born in this country. You never had to fight for a citizenship. You just, you're an American. Now, for some of you, that's a big deal because you're, we sing, especially July 4th, songs about how we're proud to be American, da 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 So in that sense, it does mean a lot to you. But citizenship was a major deal in the ancient world. Roman citizenship especially was considered a pride, a, a, a prized possession. 
So I want you to think about this. Your perspective, your life, your citizenship has been changed from being a slave to sin to being a citizen of the kingdom. That is a massive shift. Slaves have zero rights. Citizens have a lot of rights and privileges that come with citizenship. That's the dichotomy of what Paul is painting. You are a slave to sin, but you are now a citizen in the kingdom. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are now a citizen of the kingdom, and that is a big deal. And honestly, I'll say this too. In the New Testament, that's why y'all realize they didn't kill the apostles because what they were saying was popular with everybody. It's also why Paul's saying that uh, you, you've been made a, a new citizen is incredibly subversive to the day and controversial because you have to understand that Roman citizenship, Greek citizenships, these were big deals. And then Paul showed me, he goes, no, 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 you have to understand. I understand that y'all are all proud to be Romans, but we're something else before we're Romans. I know that all of y'all are proud to be Greeks, but we're something else before we're Greeks. Let me put it this way. It would be like, it would be like if, 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 if a preacher showed up to a, 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 a rally where everybody was, was swinging American flags and singing about the red, white, and blue. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But like they showed up, they said, no, y'all don't understand. You don't understand. This is subservient. This is less than who we're called as citizens of the kingdom of God. This is second. This doesn't matter compared to that. That's why they wanted to kill people like Paul. They were, they were honestly controversial political figures, but that's a whole other conversation for another day. But this is the reality. He's saying, he's saying you are a new citizen. You are joint heir with him. What he has is now yours. We're part of a new culture, a new race, with a new king, a new nation, a new society. And every saint of God is part of that new kingdom. This is part of who you are. You're citizens in a new kingdom. You're not subservient to sin. You're a citizen of a new kingdom who's been called to live holy and righteous. The other thing is this. I'm going to be done. I know I'm wearing y'all out. The other thing is this. You're part of a new family. Paul takes it a step further. He says, not only do you have new citizenship, but you also have a new family. He says that you are members of the household of God. If you go on down to verse 19, citizenship is important, but it's not intimate. Family is intimate. Family is relational. We now have brothers and sisters in Christ. We can now be accepted fully and loved freely. We can be greeted warmly, encouraged daily. That's what families are for. We may not always agree. There can be conflict. Sometimes someone in your family might go down a wrong path, but at the end of the day, we're there for each other. And Paul's telling them, you've been brought into a new family that's bigger than a family you've ever been a part of. That's how family's supposed to be. You aren't fake with family. Say it again, you aren't fake with family. One of the worst things you can do is be fake with church family. If you've got a problem, talk to somebody. If you are struggling, talk to somebody. If you're hurting, talk to somebody. When family, you don't do anything alone. You don't do any, shouldn't do anything alone in family. We do it together. Think about this. One of the greatest disservices we've done over the last 20 years of church culture is we've created this culture of fake projections that you have to always act like you're okay even if you're not. Right? Sometimes you have to crucify the flesh. I'm not saying I don't want to worship, so I'm not saying here with my arms crossed. No, you crucify your flesh and worship anyways. But then go talk to somebody after and be like, hey, I, gotta, I, need, I need to talk. Family's raw, it's real. If I'm on a rough day, a rough season, which people have, my wife knows. I don't try to hide it from her. 
I want her to be there for me. There's times I'm just to be incredibly transparent with y'all. 2022 was a really rough year for both of us. We were there for each other a lot. Even though we knew we were doing what God called us to do, still a rough year for us. A lot of transition, a lot of changes. It was rough at times. There was days, the real bad days when we were both having a rough day because then it was like, oh, God, we can't, can't even encourage each other right now. He says, this is one of the other lies we tell people is whenever you're doing what God's called you to do, there won't be rough days. That's a lie. Sometimes when you're doing what God's called you to do, make some of the roughest days. But it's also the greatest days on the other side of it. I don't want my family to hide anything from me. I don't feel like I have to hide things from my family and not be who, put on a brave face for them or they'll think less of me. Why do we do this with church? Why do we do this with the family of God? Be real with each other. If my kids are having a rough time with something, I don't want them to talk to me. I don't want them to hide it from me. That's what we do. We convince ourselves if we take our stuff to God, he's going to be angry at us. God's not going to be angry at you for taking your stuff to him. He already knows it anyways. We do this. We like, spoiler alert for my kids, half the time I already know the stuff that they may be having problems or struggling with before they talk to me because I'm their dad. Dads have this ability. Moms have this ability. Our Heavenly Father certainly has this ability because he sees all and he knows all. He knows when you're struggling. Go to him anyways. Don't think God's going to throw you down because you're struggling. He's already aware. Run to him. I've seen this posted before, and it's so true. I promise I am actually going to close at some point. Religion says, I messed up. My dad's going to kill me. Relationship says, I messed up. I need to go talk to my dad. That's how to know if you have a relationship with God or if you have a religion that you're following. If your perspective of God says, I messed up, I'm scared of what my dad's going to do, you're following religion. But if you've messed up and you go, I need to go talk to my dad, that's when you have a relationship with God. I need to run to him in my time. It's family of God. You have inheritance. You have rights. What belongs to the Father now belongs to you. So I want you to get this. I'm I'm closing. Band, y'all want to go ahead and come on up. You need to understand this. That you've been called a new creation. And what you were yesterday is not what he calls you now. You might have been called a sinner, but he now calls you holy. Even when you miss the mark, he still calls you his child. God doesn't go, man, you are such a screw-up and you're never going to get it right. I'm going to kick you out of the house. That's not how God does. Scripture actually tells us this in Proverbs. It says this. A righteous man falls seven times. But he gets back up. But the wicked lay beside their calamity. The difference in character between the righteous and the wicked is not if they mess up. It's how they respond when they mess up. You're called to be separated from sin, but I'm not expecting you to live your life and never mess up. Again, I also don't expect you to mess up 40 times a day. You're going to miss the mark in some area. Because I miss the mark in areas. But you know what I do whenever I do miss the mark? I get up. I repent. I talk to who I need to talk to. And I keep going. You know what that makes me in Scripture? Righteous. You know what makes you wicked? Whenever you fall and you go, I can't do anything about it, and you stay down. If you fell this week, get back up. If you screwed up this afternoon, get back up. If you did something you shouldn't have done this week, get back up. 
You're not wicked because you messed up. You're wicked if you stay in the dirt. The righteous get back up. Keep getting up. You just keep getting up. I tell, I tell Pastor Garrett this all the time. I'll work with anybody who wants to get better. If you want to get better and you put the effort in, man, I will be long-suffering and I will bear with you. But the people who just want to accept this is who they are and just waller around in dirt and self-pity, I can't help you. Not because I don't want to. It's because I literally can't. I can't do anything until you're ready to fight. He can't do anything. Your youth leaders can't do anything until you're ready to get back up and keep fighting. What makes you holy is not if you mess up or don't mess up. It's how do you respond after. What do you think about yourself? Because when you fall, do you go, this is just who I am? Or do you go, this is not who God created me to be? I'm going to get back up and keep becoming who he's called me to be. That's the difference. You've been called out of darkness and into light. Stand up. When you really start to believe that, you'll live in a different way. You are what you used to be called. You're now a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and part of a new family. I want you to lift your hands all over this room. Thank you for downloading today's message. Again, we hope that it encouraged you, blessed you, and edified you. If you are a high school, middle school, or even a, a young adult in the Panama City area, we would love to have you come be a part of our services at High Praise Panama City. Our YTH services are every Wednesday at 7 o'clock. The mix, our pre-service time, starts at 5 o'clock. We would love to have you out. If not, find a way to connect with us on Instagram at hp.yth. We would love to connect with you in some way, and God bless.